here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, tons to cover with you today, much of it fascinating, over 300 newspaper editorials condemning the president for calling the press the enemy of the people, but he didn't call the press the enemy of the people, he called the fake news the enemy of the people. And, of course, the self-serving leftists on these editorial boards, the overwhelming majority of which endorsed President Trump's opponent, Hillary Clinton, for President of the United States, continues this, this facade, this fabrication, that there's an attack on the free press in this country. There's not an attack on the free press in this country. The most powerful man in the country, the most powerful man in the government, hasn't lifted a finger to do anything against a free press or freedom of the press. What many in the press are doing is un-American, and they know it. They're liars by omission and commission. They're propagandists by omission and commission. And they know it. And they're, in many respects, an ideological cabal. Now, how do we know that? They just revealed themselves, over 300 of them, and there's more. Oh, but those are the editorial pages. They're not the news pages. I know, it's worse on the news pages because they're even less transparent than the editorial pages. As I've been saying over and over again in the course of the last few months, this president hasn't sought legislation like John Adams did in his party, the Federalists, to curb the press to criminalize differences of opinion. This president, unlike Lincoln, of whom I am an enormous admirer, and I understand what he did at the time, hasn't directed that any member of the media be thrown into prison without habeas corpus. This president, unlike Barack Obama, who was a disgrace, has not unleashed the FBI and our surveillance tools against the media, certainly not to the extent Obama did. As a matter of fact, Obama's use of federal law enforcement and eavesdropping on the media surpassed virtually every president before him combined. But there wasn't a cabal of editorial page articles and opinions accusing Obama of threatening America, was there? So you see, the problem is not an attack on freedom of the press, or a free press. The problem is, the people in the media, not all, but too many, who are frauds, who are ideologues, on the news pages and on the editorial pages. And it is the American people who've taken notice. That's why multi-billionaires have had to sweep in and save them. Like the New York Post, saved by the richest man on earth. Bezos. Like the New York Times, 17% of it is owned by a Mexican billionaire, a telecommunications giant. 
Bloomberg News, owned by a billionaire. And all the rest of them. All the rest of them. NBC, MSNBC, unless there's been a change of ownership. Comcast. CBS, part of a conglomeration. Nobody's taking down these companies. Nobody's putting them out of business. They put themselves out of business to the extent they lose ratings and they lose subscribers. Because their product sucks. That's why CNN's ratings continue to tank. That's why MSNBC will never catch Fox. That's why network news is at its lowest ebb in modern times. That's why people go to the Internet. Not even necessarily to get news, quote-unquote. But to get different opinions and to pull different information from all over the world. Complete joke. Complete joke. It's not about freedom of the press or a free press. And who is it? And we've talked about this, so I'm not going to spend all day. Who is it that tries to shut down conservative talk radio every five or ten years? The Democrats, the left, with the media support. Who is it, day in and day out, that attacks Fox News because there's one little cable channel? The biggest, I might add, but one little voice. It's not even a uniform voice that does not march in lockstep with all the rest of them. And they insist on it. They insist on groupthink. They insist on it. So often the news on these other networks is about other news people who don't toe the line. So freedom of the press as a constitutional matter is as safe as it's ever been. The press itself is as sick as it's ever been, is as unprofessional as it's ever been, is as ideologically driven as it's ever been, is filled with propagandists as it's ever been. The press is very sick. Freedom of the press is as strong as ever. Now, that is a distinction that the low IQ left, particularly hosts and so-called reporters, in the very media I'm talking about, will not understand. So I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Now we have this guy, Brennan. Former CIA director now is a victim, you see. He's a victim. Donald Trump, they say, is acting like a dictator. Nobody's ever seen this before. Some of the generals and admirals, some of the Obama generals and admirals are standing up for Brennan. One of them said that, uh, why don't you revoke my uh, security clearance? Well, why don't you surrender it, pal? What's with the drama queen stuff? I even see uh, a, uh, a spattering or splattering of little pieces about how this raises a constitutional issue. Really? Brennett, the private citizen, he has a constitutional right, a statutory right, a regulatory right, some kind of vested right to retain a security clearance? No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. That's not it. The issue is, what basis can you revoke it? Well, the commander-in-chief can revoke it on any basis he chooses to revoke it. You don't have a constitutional right in all things. They don't have a constitutional right to have access to security information. 
It's on a need-to-know basis, and the president gets to decide who needs to know. Mr. Brennan has abused whatever authority, whatever tradition he was operating under before. He is a vile, poisonous mouthpiece of the left who makes himself available to media and who's paid by media. There's no constitutional issue. That's not to say some judge wouldn't rule that way. We have a lot of knucklehead judges out there. They're taking over environmental issues. They're taking over immigration issues, worse than I've ever seen. And over at Conservative Review, my buddy Daniel Horowitz is working on a piece related to this. But lawlessness is not a standard by which the President of the United States should comply, is it? Now, I addressed this Brennan matter on the radio last evening, but I also addressed it on Hannity last night. And we'll play some of this. Then we're going to move on to a number of other things, including the Manafort uh, jury. First day, no decision, but they asked some very interesting questions. You know, you try to read the tea leaves. I'm not making predictions, of course. But let's take a listen. This is Hannity last night. Cut one, go. We have never had a former communist who literally we now know spread Russian lies to disinform, propagandize the American people to impact a uh, presidential election either. Uh, These are unprecedented times. See if we can unravel this from the fabulously stupid Omarosa media. First of all, apparently the fact that Brennan voted for a Stalinist who was funded by the Soviets the Communist Party USA, was very attractive to Barack Obama, who made him CIA director. Think about that. So how did this man ever get a security clearance? I'm curious about this. Now, a couple of things. The president is looking at Brennan. He revokes his security clearance. Professor Dershowitz needs to know that's a privilege. That's not a right of security uh, uh, privilege. The fact of the matter is nobody's stopping Brennan from speaking. In fact, nobody could stop. He has a big mouth. He will never shut up. He'll go on TV and be the kook that he is. The idea that he has a right to access to information because he served in the Obama administration at the CIA is a preposterous argument. But of course, the ACLU will take up the case because they take up a lot of stupid cases. That's number one. Number two, who else is the president looking at? Comey. And people who are keeping score, Comey is a Republican. How many times have the media told us, Mueller's a Republican, Comey's a Republican, and even they questioned the president. Okay, you got a Republican. And by the way, for the media, most of these people the president are looking at are white. I know that's very important to you. Now, Comey was fired at the recommendation of Rosenstein. Comey was a leaker, and he absconded with government documents when he left. His security clearance should be pulled. McCabe is under criminal investigation. The number two from the FBI. Never before in history, media, his security clearance should be pulled. Peter Stroke was just fired. The guy in charge of counterintelligence investigations for misconduct. His security should be pulled. James Clapper committed perjury. He lied to the American people and Senator Wyden and that committee. Long time ago, his security clearance should have been pulled. Bruce Orr? Another one. Pulled. Yates, another one. Not because the president has a problem with Democrats or liberals. He has a problem with these people. And we haven't even gotten to the unmasking issue yet. So this is not a First Amendment issue. Meanwhile, meanwhile, when these people had security clearances, what the hell did they do with them? Well, let's take a look. 
The Russians interfered in our election, right? Well, who was president? Who was head of the CIA? Who was national security advisor? Who was the head of the FBI? All these people, with their security clearances, in positions of power, did nothing effective to stop the Russians from interfering in our election. They did nothing to stop China from stealing our technology. They did nothing to stop North Korea's nuclear program. And even worse, they awarded the Islamo... Uh, Hold it, Mark. The terrorist regime in Tehran <laughs> with $150 billion, right? With $150 billion and provided them with a pathway to nuclear weapons. Good job, boys and girls in the Obama administration, with your security clearances. The fact that Obama appointed these people and gave them security clearances is not the obligation of this president to let them retain their security clearances. There is no constitutional issue. That's just nonsense. And again, one of them's a Republican. So that makes this all okay. All right, briefly, one more cut, and then we'll move along. Cut two, go. Mark, I'd take away all their clearances. I'd take away all their clearances, too. But the fact of the matter is, we really need to focus in on the conduct of these individuals. Look at the phony media and the arguments they're making. This is like a dictatorship. This is, this is, a, we've never seen anything like this before. All these blabbermouths who know nothing. You're going to see Clapper on TV till you throw up on your loafers. You're going to see <laughs> Comey, he had his book thing. You're going to see Brennan all over the place, all these phony victims and so <laughs> forth and so on. Meanwhile, when they were in office, when they had their security clearances, when they had power, they didn't stop the Russians, they didn't stop the Red Chinese, they didn't stop the North Koreans, they funded the Iranians, and in fact, they are responsible for the greatest scandal in American history by interfering with our election and trying to undermine the Trump campaign. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back live. Now, after the break, after the break, they throw around this word dictatorship, third world, president's enemies in the media, president's enemies in Congress, including the likes of Bob Corker and his ilk, as well as, of course, the Democrats, Mark Tourette's Warner, among others. The president, you see, is acting like a dictator by firing people or by withdrawing their security clearances? I will demonstrate to you very briefly, after the break, how Mr. Brennan, Mr. CIA Director, learned a lot, I guess, from his old Soviet buddies, Gus Hall and the, and the crowd, learned a lot about espionage, including spying on its Senate Intelligence Committee staff. Oh, you're going to want to hear this one. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Feinstein is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and she is furious at the CIA being run by Brennan. Go. Without prior notification or approval, CIA personnel had conducted a search. That was John Brennan's word of the committee computers at the offsite facility. This search involved not only a search of documents provided by the committee, by the CIA, but also a search of the standalone and walled off committee network drive containing the committee's own internal work product and communications. Based on what Director Brennan has informed us, I have grave concerns 
that the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. Our staff involved in this matter have the appropriate clearances, handled this sensitive material according to established procedures and practice to protect classified information, and were provided access to the Panetta Review by the CIA itself. As a result, there is no legitimate reason to allege to the Justice Department that Senate staff may have committed a crime. I view the Acting Consul General's referral as a potential effort to intimidate this staff, and I am not taking it lightly. You got that, media? Mr. Brennan and his CIA was spying on Senate Intelligence Committee staff. At the time, Feinstein, chairman of that committee, was furious. Brennan repeatedly covered up, repeatedly lied about it, came up with excuses, eventually had to spill the beans. But you had the CIA, the CIA director, spying on Senate Intelligence Committee staffers, going into their records, in their computers, that were off-site. Now there's fascism. Now there's dictatorship. And they defend this man and his security clearance. Damn be all of them. I'll be back. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. The audio I played for you is actually a video. It's on the Internet. Any news department in America could have pulled it and played it any time during the last 24 hours. But they didn't, and they won't. Because they don't want you to know about the real John Brennan. This man ran an agency that spied on a Senate staff, the Senate Intelligence Committee staff. Mark Warner runs to the microphone as mentally challenged as he is accuses the President of the United States of being Nixonian with an enemies list. He sat on that committee and he knew full well what Brennan and the CIA had done to staffers. And yet look how he talks. All the media have access to what I've played for you. I'm going to play it one more time. This is Dianne Feinstein going to the Senate floor March 11, 2014, just a few years ago, furious that the CIA broke into Senate Intelligence Committee computers to see what the staffers were working on. Brennan covered it up for a period of time. They even gave the phony argument that they wanted to make sure that the Senate staffers were properly handling sensitive and secure information, even though they all had their own clearances. And Brennan is on TV, hired by one of the media outlets, trashing the President of the United States day in and day out, making the most outrageous allegations. Brennan, whose fingerprints are all over the Russia dossier and the pushing it into law enforcement and into the media, 
as he operated in the shadows as CIA director. Brennan, who had closer ties to the Russians than anybody he accuses, he voted for their communist apparatchik, Gus Hall, a Stalinist, who received funds from the Soviets as the Communist Party USA received funds from the Soviets, and their purpose was to overthrow our government in the middle of the Cold War, and Brennan voted for him. One more time, March 11, 2014. This is the man the media are defending. Their surrogates are defending. And this admiral, who said today, McLaren or whatever his name is, Mr. President, yank my security clearance. Let me tell you something, pal. You may be a great patriot, but you're an ignoramus. That you are. Go ahead. Without prior notification or approval, CIA personnel had conducted a search, that was John Brennan's word, of the committee computers at the off-site facility. This search involved not only a search of documents provided by the committee, by the CIA, but also a search of the standalone and walled-off committee network drive containing the committee's own internal work product and communications. Based on what Director Brennan has informed us. Now let's stop. If this had been a Republican administration with a Republican CIA director who did that, you know damn well where the media would fall on this. We wouldn't be debating security clearances. We would be be debating why aren't these people prosecuted and sent to prison. Go ahead. That the CIA's search may well have violated the separation of powers principles embodied in the United States Constitution. Meaning the executive branch under Barack Obama spying on the legislative branch. This is a problem in the Obama administration from day one. Whether it's unleashing the FBI against the media, whether it's putting a spy in the Trump campaign, whether it is the dossier and Christopher Steele, whether it's Mr. Stroke and Ms. Page and McCabe and Comey, whether it's the phony FISA warrant and the unmasking of American citizens, including Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Go ahead. Our staff involved in this matter have the appropriate clearances, handled this sensitive material according to established procedures and practice to protect classified information and were provided access to the Panetta review by the CIA itself. As a result, there is no legitimate reason to allege to the Justice Department that Senate staff may have committed a crime. I view the acting Consul General's referral as a potential effort to intimidate this staff, and I am not taking it lightly. See, it is we who stand for civil liberties, not them, folks. It is we who stand for civil liberties. It is we who stand for the rule of law, privacy, and the Constitution, not them. It is we who stand for freedom of the press, freedom of speech, not them. It is we who stand against an all-powerful centralized government, not them. And this is what we're battling, constitutionalism versus progressivism. 
It's exactly what's going on. And progressivism reaches a point where it becomes openly tyrannical. And you're seeing it with your own two eyes right now. Now, I'm not going to play all the audio we have of these Democrats. Joaquin Castro, Democrat, Texas. Eric Swalwell, Democrat, California. And on and on and on. On and on and on. Defending Brennan. But I will play you Jim Shudo, who used to serve in the Obama administration and worked with CIA Director Brennan as a national security advisor to then-President Obama. And he's reporting on CNN today on this issue as if he's an objective journalist, which, of course, he's not. He asks if Putin is cheering Brennan losing his security clearance. Well, of course he is. Maybe Brennan was a source to him. Anyway, cut five. Go. Julia, you cover Russia well. Uh, you had the president in Helsinki a handful of weeks ago stand next to the Russian president and question the intelligence community's assessment. Uh, dismiss it, really. Uh, now you have a president firing a former leader of the intelligence community inciting the Russia investigation. Does Putin cheer this kind of thing? Stop, stop. Now this is, you see, this is what they call news. There's nothing newsworthy about a man who served in the opposite administration, in the opposite party, who embraced opposite policies, who worked with the individual who is being reported about, not asking questions, but making statements like this. For a correspondent from GQ magazine, GQ magazine has a correspondent, I'm afraid it does, Gentleman Quarterly. And of course, she's a leftist. Is Putin cheering about this? Go ahead. Of course he does. Uh, it's just more chaos, more kind of dismantling of the U.S. system, of the transatlantic alliance. All right, an idiot. That's why she's stuck at Gentleman Quarterly magazine. Next thing you know, she'll be writing for Nature or whatever. So I just wanted to put a fine point on this. Now, related to this, in some context, there's a writer by the name of J.M. Rieger, who used to write for the Huffington Post, which is obviously a left-wing crap website. Now he writes for the Washington Compost. You see, they have a farm team, and they move up to the pros, so-called over there at the Washington Compost. Listen to this. On Fox News, Robert Mueller is often a bigger boogeyman than Vladimir Putin. Some Fox pundits now say special counsel Robert S. Mueller III represents a bigger threat to the United States than Russian President Vladimir Putin. When conservative radio host Mark Levin appeared on Fox News' Hannity last week, by the way, it takes him a week to catch up, to discuss the latest in the Russia investigation, he ended up baffling even some of his most conservative allies. Some nitwit woman who writes for uh, Red State. I never heard of her before. Not a conservative ally of mine. I don't even know who the hell she is. Anyway, that's his link. Quote, Robert Mueller is a greater threat to this republic and the Constitution than anything Vladimir Putin did during the campaign, Levin said. And I'm no fan of Vladimir Putin. Now, I've discussed this at length many times. Mueller is a threat to our constitutional system. Because he's being used wittingly to reverse the last election. And he's prepared to create a constitutional confrontation. Which will distract the president and his administration. 
which will make our enemies actually laugh, as CNN would say, and they'll possibly get on the move, make a move, while the president is having to deal with a subpoena or something of that sort. This is a terrible violation, potentially, of separation of powers, among other things. The appointments clause. Vladimir Putin can't do anything to cause a problem with our separation of powers or undermine our Constitution or even our notion of republicanism. He's a national security threat. That's exactly the point I'm making over and over again. But this guy, J.M. Rigger, is such an idiot, such an ideologue. Well, he likes to play the typical liberal game. While bringing up a basket of old claims about the Mueller investigation, Levin did not say specifically what made Mueller a larger threat than Putin. I've, Mr. Producer, world, we have another propagandist, this clown. He purposely puts that sentence in there because he knows that I do. But he can't help himself. Still, the following night, Hannity guest host, Janine Pirro, made the same comparison. Is Mueller a greater threat than Putin to this country? Now notice, that's not what I said. Three sentences above. Quote, Robert Mueller is a greater threat to this republic and the Constitution than anything Vladimir Putin did during the campaign. Isn't that what I said? He quotes me. But he says... The same comparison was made by Judge Janine. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the same at all. Then he talks about the coup. No fewer than nine Fox hosts. Some, this guy is very busy sitting there. <laughs> Let's run the vid. Let me count. How, how many of them talk about trying to overthrow Trump? Well, what are they trying to do? The unleashing of a prosecutor, the constant, incessant talk about impeachment the day after the man's elected. What do you call that? What do you call that? You idiot. No fewer than nine Fox hosts and pundits have suggested as much since February 2017. That's the whole article. The Washington Post is trying to force Trump out of office. CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, all of a thousand so-called reporters like cockroaches all over the place, trying to reverse the election results. And then when you call them out, what are you? Well, they, this is the fringe here, the conservative fringe. Stupid people who don't want to get any smarter. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, I've had uh, my share of mechanics calling me saying they found something wrong that needs replacing when I've taken my car in for an oil change. Those so-called surprise high repair bills are terrible, especially when you're not covered by a manufacturer's warranty and you're paying out of your own pocket to fix them. That's why I recommend extended vehicle protection from CarShield like we have on our 2010 Camaro. If your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, CarShield can save you from paying for high repair costs. Replacing your engine or even a simple sensor can cost thousands. Now, when you're protected by CarShield, you can have your favorite mechanic or dealership fix your car, and they're paid directly. It's that simple, and it's your choice. CarShield also provides 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. 
Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection. Get CarShield. Here's what you do. Do it right now. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN. 800-CAR-6100, code LEVIN. Or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN. That's carshield.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Either way, you save 10%. That's carshield.com or 800-CAR-6100, code LEVIN, save 10%. A deductible may apply. All right. Are you as sick as I am talking about John Brennan's security clearance? Like it affects the nation one way or another. I have to push back. It's the only reason I raise these things. And I'm hopeful the president will yank the security clearances from at least a half a dozen or a dozen more of these people. And so they'll, of course, run the news and tell us how great James Comey is because James Comey's a leaker, of course, and he stole uh, government documents on the way out the door. Oh, they're my private property. What an idiot. Or McCabe, who's under criminal investigation. Or Stroke, who was just fired. Or this fella, uh, Orr, Bruce Orr, who was uh, in the shadows, uh, working with his wife, opposition research against the president, and at the same time feeding information to Mr. Stroke over there at the FBI. Oh, what a public servant. Then we have an admiral today. He says, uh, writes a piece in the Washington Post. It's amazing how quickly they get these things written in, in these major newspapers, isn't it? Have you ever tried to write a piece and get it in a major newspaper? It's not so simple, particularly if you disagree with them. And he says that Mr. Trump is a disgrace. He's humiliated us. He's an embarrassment. And that Mr. Trump should pull his security clearance, too. These are these Obama admirals and generals. Why don't you just surrender your security clearance, pal? What do you need it for? You're done. You're retired. Just surrender it. But he won't. He wants to make a, uh, a spectacle. And so the left has succeeded in politicizing our intelligence agencies. They were involved in the last election. They've succeeded in politicizing the FBI. They were involved in the last election. And now they've succeeded in politicizing the military. Because this is what they do. They destroy institutions and traditions and customs while claiming you're doing it. While claiming you're doing it. Now, there's a lot more to get to. This subpoena issue uh, may be coming to a head uh, should Mr. Mueller foolishly, stupidly, arrogantly issue a subpoena for the President of the United States to appear before a federal grand jury or some other form of physical appearance of a president. Uh, A president has never appeared in front of a grand jury. So this issue should be quite interesting. But more than interesting, this is exactly what I was talking about when the idiot over at the Washington Post couldn't comprehend. Well, he probably comprehended what I was talking about, but he didn't want to. It's better to paint somebody as a kook or to attack people as racists and so forth. It is amazing. We have the greatest scandal in in the history of this country from a political perspective. Greatest. And the vast majority of the media are either involved in it by fielding leaks by the perpetrators or ignoring it or trying to deflect on behalf of Obama, uh, his officials, and the Democrat Party. That's how much they hate Trump. Notice they didn't write 
editorials, three or four hundred newspapers. They didn't write editorials when Barack Obama sicked the FBI on their colleagues. No. Why would they do that? They didn't write editorials when talk news came under attack. No. That is talk radio. Or when Fox comes under attack. No. Or when we all come under attack and the Democrats try to nationalize the Internet. No, 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 that's not a problem. You see, they're afraid of the president's words. Fake news. Enemy of the people. A little self-serving, don't you think? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In a few minutes, I want to walk you through what might be occurring any time now, or maybe not, so you are more informed about the Constitution and the consequences of what may take place, maybe not, with Mr. Mueller and a subpoena. I think it's very important that the millions of you who listen to this program know about it because you're going to be fed more propaganda than you can imagine should that subpoena take place. So I consider that enormously important that you stick with me. But before we do, I've always been a great fan of Aretha Franklin. I don't know her politics and all that. I'm not talking about that. But her unbelievable voice. There will never, ever be another voice like that. Just never be another voice like that. Aretha Franklin. And uh, rest in peace. You know, we're all going to leave this earth. I hate to tell you we're all going to leave this earth. And when you leave this earth... If you could make as many people happy, peaceful as possible, man, you've accomplished more than most other people. And that's what she did. Her songs, that voice will live in perpetuity. In perpetuity. You could feel that song in your bones, in your soul. Absolutely unbelievable. That voice, that range, nothing like it. Nobody. So may she rest in peace. All right. Now we get down to brass tacks here. The Mueller team has to make a decision now. I don't know what the president's lawyers have proposed to Mr. Mueller. But they're good lawyers. Sekolo. Giuliani, Flood, there may be others. They're good lawyers. And based on what Giuliani said in reading the tea leaves, they have very narrow parameters for this prosecutor. No, you can't question the president about his presidential prerogatives. Like firing Comey. You have a public record. You know why he fired Comey. This president 
explains more about his actions than any president I can think of. He uses Twitter. He goes to rallies. He speaks on other forums and so forth. But it's none of Mr. Mueller's business. Period. Uh, And um, questions cannot be asked for the purpose of trying to catch the president in some kind of a trick and then claim that he made a false statement or he contradicted somebody and therefore he perjured himself. And there are other issues that should have been and may have been raised by the president's lawyers. And let me go over some of them. Now, I don't know this, but this is what I would do. Mr. Mueller. What is your authority to question the President of the United States under our Constitution? Not any public official, not any citizen, but the President of the United States. What is your authority? If you agree that you must comply with the Department of Justice's policies, and the Department of Justice's policies include two memos, that stretch almost half a century by two different administrations from two different parties that have never been altered, that state unequivocally that it is the position of the United States Department of Justice, your boss, your boss, that you cannot indict a sitting president, then what exactly is it that you want to glean from this president in terms of a criminal prosecution? It's not the target. He hasn't committed any crime. There's nothing in the federal code. You better have a damn good reason. Now, we're not talking about turning over documents. We have, you know, the Nixon case where, the, where, where Nixon was forced to give over the tapes. We're not talking about giving over tapes. We're talking about physical access to the president of the United States. That's quite different. Quite different. We're not talking about a civil case. We're talking about a criminal case. The President of the United States has never been subpoenaed successfully to appear in front of a federal grand jury. So, Mr. Mueller, exactly what are you up to? Now, Mr. Mueller, you're either one or another kind of of federal official. Are you an inferior official under the appointments clause of the Constitution? Three judges, federal judges in Washington, D.C. have ruled that that's what you are. You're an inferior official, an employee of the Department of Justice who reports to the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. Do you agree with those decisions? Or are you a principal officer? Under the Appointments Clause of the Constitution, stay with me, under the Appointments Clause of the Constitution, and therefore you should have been nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate, otherwise everything you've done is null and void. Which is it? Well, he would obviously argue, I would think, that he is an inferior employee, that he reports to the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, who is the acting Attorney General for these purposes. Fine. You're an inferior employee. Inferior to whom? 
Well, the deputy attorney general, to whom else? The attorney general, who else? The president of the United States. So you can subpoena your boss, even though your boss argues that for the purposes in which you seek to subpoena, you do not have the power. Now, if that's the case, you're not an inferior employee. Are you? But if you are, and I, as your superior, your ultimate superior, I'm the executive branch, I'm president of the United States, how can you subpoena me? To physically appear in front of a grand jury, or physically appear for your questioning. This would completely turn upside down. Separation of powers. The appointments clause of the Constitution and the structure of the executive branch. This is what I mean that this man is more dangerous to our constitutional system than Vladimir Putin. Putin is without question a danger to this nation. It has nothing to do with national security. So the dense Washington Post reporter, this is way above his IQ level. But all of you understand what I'm saying. These are important points. Stay with me. These are the kinds of points that will be argued in a constitutional confrontation. Now, Mr. Mueller and his lawyers are not constitutional experts. Some have argued in appeals courts. Some have argued in front of the Supreme Court. But they're not experts, per se, in this area. In any respect. Moreover, Mr. Mueller will be opening the door to allow the president's attorneys to bring up any and all related matters involving the nature and course of this investigation. Now, that doesn't mean some liberal judge or justice or court won't knock them down, but the door will be opened where they can challenge so much of what Mr. Mueller has done and the nature in which this investigation was launched. And so Mr. Mueller has quite a high hill to climb, assuming he doesn't have a bunch of liberal judges who want to help him out. Why do you want to subpoena the President of the United States? What is it that you need to know? I need to know why he fired Comey. Excuse me, two points. You don't get to know that, but moreover, there's a public record. He said why he fired Comey. Well, he gave three different answers. Wow, now you have three answers. But you're an inferior employee. You report to the justice. Now, why is this important, folks? You cannot have any assistant U.S. attorney issuing subpoenas for a president to appear in front of a federal grand jury to ask a bunch of questions which they claim they cannot get answered without forcing the president in front of a grand jury or demanding an interview of the president in a criminal matter. The courts would be unleashing things they don't even know that they're unleashing. It would completely undermine the power of the presidency. On the other hand, the president must defend his prerogatives. He must defend the right of a president, any president, to fire a subordinate. 
to fire a support. He must defend the rights of presidents not to be forced to appear in front of federal grand juries at the demand, effectively, of an inferior employee. Now, Mark, Judge Starr, he issued a subpoena for the president to appear before a federal grand jury. That is Clinton. Well, Clinton should have fought it. But they are two completely different cases. Clinton, in conducting himself the way he did, wasn't protecting a presidential prerogative. Clinton's actions involved Clinton's actions. You see, the issue of whether Clinton committed perjury in a civil trial has nothing to do with whether a president of the United States is able to fire the FBI director. Also, think of it this way. If a prosecutor is free to question a president about his prerogative to fire a subordinate, look at the opportunities for political blackmail from future FBI director, future CIA director, future national security intelligence, all of them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Mr. Mueller issues a subpoena. It is Mr. Mueller who's going to have a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered. But I believe it's quite possible he will. I don't know. I'm not predicting. I'm just saying he's, I find him to be extremely irresponsible. You know, we're going to talk a little later and quite soon, actually, about the uh, Manafort case and the jury coming back and asking a number of questions. And they asked questions that were really quite astounding and yet very rational. What's a shelf company? You're the prosecutor. You just spent two weeks laying out your case. You didn't even define the terms of the various entities that you're talking about. They asked the judge to clarify. The judge says, look, I, I can't do that. You know, the case, the case has been argued. The both sides have rested. You need to figure these things out. And they asked other, other technical terms. The prosecution's thrown all this stuff out there. They may still get their convictions here and there. They're uh, on, a, on a charge here and there. Their star witness is a disaster. They're telling the jury, no, forget about him. Focus on the document. I don't think these guys are particularly good. Hillsdale College, baby. I know you love freedom. Now, how do I know? Because you listen to this show. That's how I know. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving liberty. And the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them so often. Now, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty... They teach their stellar students to defend freedom no matter what they major in, whether it's science, music, economics, business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty. And they do that for you too, you know. 
through their free monthly digest of conservative thought. It's called Imprimus. 3.8 million Americans receive it for free every month. And you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's no strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every single month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now let me tell you a little secret because I'm in constant touch with all of our wonderful sponsors. I don't believe this is going to be free forever. Maybe not even in the near future. So I want to strongly encourage you to get the Imprimus now so you grandfathered in, so you can lock it in. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Did you get your copy of The Second Coming yet by my buddy John Highbush? Well, he reported back that they have sold thousands of copies of their first edition at the Reagan Library because many of you went online immediately and got your copies and got them signed. I told you the first editions run out. That's with any book. And then a publisher publishes a second edition, third edition, fourth edition, so forth. So the goal is to get your first edition of a book. And if you can get it signed on top of that for free, That's a big deal, too. John Highbush is a big-time thriller writer. He's about to have his second best-selling book, The Second Coming. He's one of the few conservatives who have been incredibly successful in novel writing, just because that's the nature of the publishing business. It's a great book. He was on the program last night. I want to encourage you quickly right now, go back if you haven't. Go back if you have, but go there if you haven't to ReaganLibrary.com. Isn't that right, Mr. Producer? ReaganLibrary.com. Go to the store, get a copy of The Second Coming. It's the first edition, and ask for it to be signed, and then they'll send it to you. Now, if you just want to get a copy and you don't care if it's signed or not, you can go to Amazon.com and any Barnes & Noble and any Serious bookstore, significant bookstore, even small bookstores. The Second Coming is the name of the book by John Highbush. But I'm just giving you inside information because I asked him a few hours ago. I said, how's it going? He said, Mark, we've sold a whole bunch of them at the Reagan Library. I'm signing them as fast as I can. We're running low on the first edition. So jump in. I'm not hawking it. I'm not hyping it. You're my brothers and sisters. I'm telling you what's going on like I always do. ReaganLibrary.com. Go to the store and get it and ask for them to sign it. All right, I want to get back to the subpoena issue. There's a piece at ABC News. What happens if Mueller decides to subpoena President Trump? And they ask a bunch of uh, law professors or former prosecutors and that sort of thing. Peter Shane, professor, Ohio State University. Is it smart strategy for Mueller to issue a subpoena on the president? He says at Moritz College of Law, I would say yes, because the evidence that the president could give would be, in my judgment, directly relevant to the plausibility of charges that involve not only the president, but other people involved in his campaign, including family members. 
And I think that as a prosecutor and former FBI director that Mueller believes in dotting as many I's and crossing as many T's as possible. I don't think he would want to leave this particular stone unturned. I have no idea what that means. None. Question the president about what involving family members? You question the family members. All right. Somebody by the name of Whiting. Their answer. There are risks for Mueller in terms of whether to seek a subpoena. The first is delay. It would be litigated, and that is a fact, by the way. And it would take several months to be litigated. So he'd have to decide whether and how the delay would affect his investigation. And the second thing is he could lose in court. I don't think he'd lose in court, but there's always a risk of losing in court. And so we would have to calculate how important it was for him to get the interview versus the risks. That's why this has dragged on for so long. Both sides are negotiating in the shadow of these risks and trying to press their positions and see who will blink first. Stephen Salzberg, George Washington University professor of law, former associate independent counsel. Better not to subpoena the president because it could be litigated for 18 months or more. Mueller has sufficient statements by the president to know why he did what he did. That is a fact right there. There's no reason for any of this. So in my view, the professor and former associate independent counsel probably knows better than the rest. Somebody named Welly. I'm confident that what's going on inside the Mueller investigation is only remotely related to what we know about at this point. So it's possible he has what he needs and doesn't absolutely need the president's testimony. So he could walk away from it or he could issue a subpoena. Well, thanks for nothing there, pal. What would prompt Mueller to issue a subpoena to the president? Is the question posed by ABC. They go to Professor... Prahash of the University of Virginia. Giuliani's been all over the press about how the president wants to testify, but not with respect to all of these questions about obstruction of justice. This has been going on for months. Perhaps Mueller believes that he just has to ask these questions and play this out to see what the president's response is. Well, that's a foolish answer. Back to this guy Whiting. Mueller would have to decide either that Trump's team is not serious about sitting down for an interview or that the conditions they are seeking to impose are so restrictive as to make the interview not worthwhile. And if Mueller decides that one of those two things has happened, then that's when he would have to make a decision about whether or not to seek a subpoena. Wiley. This is all really just a game of chicken. We can go round and round and round, and what all this comes down to is the president is saying, make me. I'm going to comment on this in a second. Paul Rosenzweig, senior fellow, R Street Institute, professorial lecturer in law at George Washington University. I'm quite familiar with this gentleman. Quote, one of the best arguments against wasting time on subpoenaing the president is that since there is a Justice Department policy that says the president can't be indicted, and Mueller's probably decided in his mind that he's going to follow that policy, doesn't really make that much difference what the president says. If you're not going to charge him with a crime, who cares what he has to say, right? I think that I care what he has to say, even if it's not capable of being criminally prosecuted, because I think that the truth value of knowing what happened is greater. Well, that's a stupid answer. If and when Mueller decides to subpoena President Trump, what happens next? 
Wiley, that's the federal government basically saying, you do this or else. That's what a subpoena is. It is saying to the president of the United States, if you don't comply, we, the government, are going to make you comply. Now, listen to that. The president is the executive branch. This is an inferior employee if you listen to the so-called experts. So this inferior employee can say, we can make my boss comply with this. This is what I mean. The courts are playing with fire if they go along with this. Salzburg, the former associate independent counsel, quote, the president could comply or he could file a motion to quash the subpoena on the ground that it is a burden on the presidency. And that's true because he's obviously read the memos out of the Department of Justice. Somebody by the name of Shane. The reasons for objecting to the subpoena have to do with whether a president may subpoena it for testimony at all. What the president's lawyers are going to say, I'm I'm virtually uh, certain, is that the court has no authority to demand that the president give personal testimony. Professor Prakash, I think the president would then invoke executive privilege. And I think the special counsel at that point would try to contest the invocation, saying it doesn't apply and therefore the president has to testify. And so that would be litigated and the court would have to decide whether the special counsel could actually contest the president's claim. If they decide that he couldn't, that would be the end of the subpoena. He wouldn't be able to enforce it. Rosenzweig. If they are at an impasse and Mueller issues a subpoena, the president has a decision to make. He can comply with the subpoena. That means showing up in the grand jury and answering questions like any other human being who's subpoenaed to testify. Option two is the one that President Clinton chose in the 1990s, which was when he was subpoenaed by Ken Starr. That was when Clinton's team finally sat down and negotiated. Third thing the president could do is fight. He could go to the court and say, look, I'm the president. You can't subpoena me. I refuse to come. That fight would start in the District of Columbia with a grand jury's meeting, and pretty obviously it would go all the way up to the Supreme Court. I predict that's what would happen. Whiting. The other thing that could happen is Mueller could issue the subpoena, and then that could start negotiations again. If they see that Mueller's willing to issue a subpoena, then they might reassess their risks. Then they ask, how long might a court battle over subpoena take? Prakash, president, try not to comply with any order until he gets a decision from the appellate court or from the Supreme Court. If a district court ordered him to testify, I suspect he'd say, I'm going to appeal this and try to prevent the testimony from being given. Whiting, certainly be expedited because this is an ongoing investigation. So there's a pressing need to resolve it. And also, I think the judge would know that both sides have fully thought through their arguments and so forth. Rosenzweig. I would expect everybody would work very hard to expedite it. Shane, there's an interesting question as to strategy because there are two elements of strategy, two objectives. One is winning, the other is delaying. Uh, Let me just say this, folks. You can delay and win. If the subpoena fight reaches the Supreme Court, who is likely to prevail? And then when we're done, I have a question for you. What haven't they asked over there at ABC News? Prakash, unlike the Nixon case, they are not asking for evidence, for documents or tapes. They're asking for the president's testimony. I don't know what the court would say about trying to get the president to testify as to whether he had the requisite state of mind for obstruction of justice or whatever else the special prosecutor is investigating. And I don't know what the court would say about the applicability of executive privilege in that context. As far as I can tell, the special counsel doesn't have any explicit litigating authority to contest presidential assertions of executive privilege. 
That was a feature of the regulations in place in Watergate era. It wasn't readopted for whatever reason when the Clinton administration put out these special counsel regulations. Shane, I would be a little surprised if the Supreme Court were to take the position that executive privilege with regard to testimony was absolute. The accountability of any one branch of government to any other branch. Stop! It's not the accountability of one branch to another branch. It's the same branch. That's the point, Professor. It's the same branch. It's the executive branch. He's an inferior employee if you buy that argument. If he's not an inferior employee, if he's a principal employee, he's out because it violates the appointments clause. That's why he's kind of boxed in, Mueller. What else does he say here? I think what's going to happen is the decision is not going to be you can never subpoena the president. And it's not going to be you can subpoena the president just like any other citizen. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Rosenzweig, in the end, my prediction is 75 to 25 percent that Mueller wins. All right, this guy, I don't even know why this Rosenzweig's involved. Then they ask if Trump could defy a court order. And uh, that's all speculate. What didn't they ask, Mr. Producer? If Mr. Mueller issues a subpoena to try and force the president to testify in front of a federal grand jury, what potential damage might he do to the Constitution? You see, ladies and gentlemen, the framers hoped that men of high virtue would serve in high office. But they felt that it was unlikely in many cases. So they created the appointments process and certain, some, certain people are elected and checks and balances and all the rest. The problem is this prosecutor is not checked or balanced. He's a cowboy. He's rogue. He doesn't have a function within our constitutional order. The Supreme Court was wrong in Morrison, and they'll be wrong now to intervene on the behalf of a special counsel against another branch of government, the presidency. I'll be right back. Mark in. Every time you go online, your internet provider and advertising companies can track what you do and sell your personal information. Please listen to this. It's very, very important because I've got a solution for you. And you know, the NSA is gobbling up information everywhere. So how do you actually protect yourself? Now, computer experts recommend using a VPN. Well, that's nice. What does that mean? Well, the software I use is called ExpressVPN, which makes it super easy for anyone to stay private online. Protect your privacy from all comers. They're rated the number one VPN server by TechRadar. Now, these days, I don't use the Internet without ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN's apps take just minutes to set up, And afterwards, they run seamlessly in the background of my computer and smartphone. You install the program, then turn on ExpressVPN protection with a single click. Folks, it couldn't be easier and it couldn't be more important. ExpressVPN secures and uh, make sure you're anonymous uh, through the Internet, 
through data encryption and hiding your IP address. That means nobody, hello, nobody can record or access your online activity. So if you want to protect yourself from hackers, spy agencies, and your ISP, visit expressvpn.com slash mark. That's expressvpn.com slash mark. And by the way, get their special offer right now. Three months free with a one-year package. Now, when I get a new sponsor, they get offer discounts like this, and it's important to jump in right away. Plus, look at the service. It's a great product. Don't risk your online data any longer. Visit Express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, expressvpn.com slash mark right away. When, uh, when I talked to this sponsor, I spoke to the, sp- the folks who founded this company. It was very, very exciting. His name's Dan. And I said, this is the perfect product and service for me and my audience. It really is. ExpressVPN.com slash Mark. All right. Now, when we return for our third hour, I hope you'll stay with us. I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the Manafort courtroom today. The jurors had a number of questions, not a ton, but a number that I thought were fascinating. Not to predict an outcome. I'd be foolish to do that. Anybody would. But they weren't really clear about a few terms, especially one that grabbed my attention. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, during the... Uh, First day of jury proceedings, it lasted six or seven hours or so. The jury asked a couple of questions of the court, uh, including what is a shelf company and a few other technical terms. Now, this isn't the question that particularly drew my attention, but still, they're asking questions like that. That means the prosecution didn't explain these technical terms, or some of them. And apparently that phrase was used repeatedly. Again, I, I'm just giving you a sense. You're sitting in a jury room, and these, you're asking these things, and the prosecution has to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt in each one of the charges. Now, they threw a zillion charges at Manafort, so they're hoping they get one, two, three, something, or all of them. They asked other questions. They said to the court, can you help us organize the evidence as the evidence, the documentary evidence applies to each one of the charges? Can you help us put it in order? Court said, no, you have to do that. We don't do that. We can't do that. That's interesting. Maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe there was too much thrown at them. 
Then they asked the judge, and here's the one that got my attention, to define reasonable doubt. What's meant by reasonable doubt? And the prosecution and the defense counsel apparently agreed, and the judge said, well, it doesn't mean there's no possibility whatsoever. It's something less than that. What's reasonable doubt? So they're not, I guess the defense counsel was rather pleased today because they didn't just say, okay, let's sit down, guilty, 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 guilty. What's this phrase mean and what's this phrase mean and what does reasonable doubt mean? And, um, you know, can you help us take whatever information we're supposed to take and apply it to a particular charge? You know, these are really straightforward charges, but it can get complicated. Bank fraud and tax fraud. Now, here's the truth. What usually happens in a case like this is there isn't a case like this. Because the first thing that usually occurs in this process is there is an extensive IRS audit. It could go on for years. The IRS sits down with your accountants. Your accountants go through everything. The IRS issues their own investigative subpoenas. They gather information, whether it's on wires or whatever it is, wire movement of money and so forth and so on. And uh, and it can go in various directions. But typically it doesn't go straight into a criminal prosecution like this. I'm just telling you the truth. There are criminal prosecutions in tax cases and bank fraud cases. That's quite obvious. But typically, it's not the first shoe to drop. And I'll give you further evidence of that. Remember, the FBI was aware of a number of these foreign bank accounts in 2015 and 2016. That's just two and three years ago. During the course of another investigation, they aware of them, they asked about them, and they moved on. They moved on. Now, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? If, in fact, you're talking about these massive sums of money ripping off the American uh, government and the federal treasury and so forth, why would they just move on? Why would they slow down and say, you know what, let's really dig into that? But they didn't really dig into that. It's almost as if they dusted off this old matter. They decided to make a, uh, a bigger push on it because of who Manafort is. Again, I'm no special pleader, ladies and gentlemen. If he's guilty, he's guilty. But that's not my point. And you could tell the judge from day one wasn't really happy about this case. Like, why are you focused on this guy? You're the special counsel. Obviously, you want to you beat him down. And, and keep something else in mind. If they get a conviction on one count, two count, ten count, whatever it is, they're still going to go back to the prosecutor and say, all right, give us something And maybe we'll uh, we'll fight to reduce the sentence. He can still plea, you know. That is, in terms of your sentence, you can still cut a deal. 
And then you have the other trial hanging over Manafort in Washington, D.C., in front of a liberal Obama judge. So they're thrilled about that, the prosecutors. But what I said earlier was this. Again, maybe they'll get a conviction on all counts. That's not my point. What I said was this. This was a sloppy prosecution. A very sloppy prosecution. If, in fact, the documents are enough to convict, as the prosecution said in its closing argument yesterday. Plus, if you have witnesses, accountants, bank officials, bank employees, and so forth, why would you put Gates on the stand? You knew Gates was going to be filleted. You knew he was going to be hammered. You know he's a serial liar and he's a crook. He even cheated Manafort, his friend and his boss. You know he's a reprobate who has no character. And my buddy Andy McCarthy points out another thing with respect to this guy. What? He says. They were charging Gates with counts that added up to over 100 years in prison. And the deal they cut with Gates is two relatively minor counts, a maximum potential of 10 years in prison, with a likelihood of serving no time. You go from 100 years to zero? Well, that should raise eyebrows. You're that desperate to have this witness? Is that equal justice, ladies and gentlemen? No. And yet... Defense counsel chewed him up pretty well, really, I think. I wasn't there every day. I didn't hear every argument. wasn't there any day. So, again, I'm reading the, the news accounts, some of which are better than others. And you don't get a sense of how the jury reacted, you know, not being in the courthouse. But it's very interesting to me that the jury comes back with a number of technical questions. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, these shelf corporations, I won't say that was the heart of the case, but it was certainly significant. You're setting up these companies in order to, they argue, launder money through them overseas. What's a shelf corporation? And what's reasonable doubt? And how do we match up all this evidence with with the various charges? How do we make sure this evidence applies to this charge and this charge and so forth and so on? So uh, I don't know what to make of this other than, and again, we don't know. But if you're the prosecution, you have to be a little nervous. If you're defense counsel, you have to be not happy, but you have to be somewhat pleased. Because it's up to the government to make the case. The government has to make the case. It's not up to the defense to make the case. The government has to make the case that this guy committed these serial crimes. He did it with intent. And the test is reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt. That's the test. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
only have 40 minutes or so left in the program. I want to get to uh, Elizabeth Warren's proposal, uh, among other things, uh, before we leave the show. But again, Aretha Franklin passed away today. One of my favorites. Uh, But uh, there will never be another Aretha Franklin. You can't say that about a lot of people, but that is true. And uh, that voice can never be matched. Can never be matched by anybody. Just can't. All right. Um, I almost forgot where I was here, where my place is. Elizabeth Warren. She's going to introduce the Accountable Capitalism Act. Now, when a radical uh, socialist wants to introduce the Accountable Capitalism Act, you better worry and worry a lot. Whatever happened to the Accountable Government Act? This is from the Washington Examiner. Senator Elizabeth Warren will introduce legislation aimed at making the nation's largest companies accountable to employees and their local communities, not just shareholders. Excuse me? You know what a company is, folks? It is a legal creation that is run by individuals where individuals work and other individuals invest in the company. It's about property rights. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about wealth creation. It's about commerce and trade. Government has no role whatsoever. Accountability to your community? Tell me, when's the last time the IRS was held to account to your community? When's the last time the Department of Agriculture was held to account to your community? When's the last time the Department of Housing and Urban Development was held to account to your community and go through all the departments and agencies? So we're now going to, through the back door, through populist propaganda, nationalize big chunks of the private sector. That shift, she wrote at the Wall Street Journal, had a tremendous effect on the economy. Because she says uh, companies in the late 20th century started operating in a way that made them slaves to shareholders. Now, do any of you have a private pension? Any of you have uh, mutual funds, a 401k, an IRA? Mr. Producer, you have anything? You have a 401. Are you a multimillionaire, billionaire? No. You got a wife and two kids. And you have to break your back to earn a living in New York, don't you? And so does your wife. And you put a little bit of money away in a, in a private pension plan, right? And those private pension plans invest in companies. So when you retire, you'll have more money. Capitalism already redistributes wealth. Capitalism already attracts investment. Capitalism is for all the people. Rich, poor, middle class. We can use all the Marxist uh, propaganda. But she writes, the shift has had a tremendous effect on the economy. In the early 1980s, large American companies sent less than half their earnings to shareholders, spending the rest on their employees and other priorities. Employees and other priorities? Companies need to hire people in order to make profits. That's a priority. And you want to make a profit in order to attract voluntary 
capital investment. But between 2007 and 2016, large American companies dedicated 93% of their earnings to shareholders. Where does that come from? But even if they do, you're a shareholder. If you have a 401k or an IRA, if you have any kind of pension whatsoever, you're a shareholder. You, the American people. Who the hell else is a shareholder? I'll be right back. America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. Now let's not speed by this. Elizabeth Warren says to give employees, communities, and other stakeholders a leg up. Her bill would require companies with more than $1 billion in annual revenue to obtain a federal corporate charter. So now, in order to function you would need a federal corporate charter. That charter would require corporate directors to, quote, consider the interests of all major corporate stakeholders, not only shareholders in company decisions. Shareholders could sue if they believed directors weren't fulfilling those obligations. Her bill would also let employees elect at least 40% of the company's directors, and at least 75% of directors and shareholders would have to sign off on decisions to spend money on politics. I thought we lived in America. I thought if you start a business and you start a company and it becomes wildly successful and you employ all kinds of people and provide products and services that people want, that's a good thing. But apparently it's not good enough. For the past 30 years, she wrote, we've put the American stamp of approval on giant corporations. No, 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 we haven't. We've put the American stamp of approval on massive government. She writes, even as they have ignored the interests of all but a tiny slice of Americans, we should insist on a new deal. This, of course, would be a pickaxe at the heart of capitalism, where now the federal government, politicians, and bureaucrats would substitute their priorities, their personal policy decisions, for that of a private institution. And the funny thing about these big companies, any of us can own a piece of them. Any of us can invest in them. Any of us. That's why you have mutual funds. That's why you have your 401k or your IRA or whatever it is. The government can't even keep track of its own money. Wastes over $125 billion a year. The government stole all the money out of the Social Security and Medicare trust funds, stole all the money out of the Highway Trust Fund. The government lies on its books about the actual state of the government's finances. All unfunded liabilities are not shown on the government's, in the government's documents. And now... It's not enough to tax the companies. It's not enough to regulate the companies. It's not enough to have IRS agents in these companies, and they are full-time. It's not enough to have the EEOC and OSHA and you name it. And that's just the feds. You got the states, too. Warren, who has absolutely no experience running anything, has an abstract idea. This 
is redistribution of wealth. She would take the assets and resources of a corporation and say, okay, you got to give to the community. Well, what does that mean? It means whenever the Democrats control Congress and the presidency, they will have a say in how these companies run themselves. This is absolutely frightening. And every day and every night, they come up with one cockamamie idea after another. One cockamamie idea after another. We've created the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth, not just for the richest among us, but for all of us. And look what they call the Accountable Capitalism Act. Capitalism is nothing more than individuals making decisions about how they want to live. That's it. What you want to become, how much you hope to make, what you want to do with your money, whether you want to save it or spend it, what do you want to spend it on, how do you want to save it, what do you want to do with your resources, that's your money, that's capitalism. The individuals make the choice. She would substitute individual decision-making for her decision-making because that's the bottom line. It's all centralized, and they always do it in the populist name for the people. It's for the people. I want to make sure the community's taken care of and the unions are taken care of and the employees are taken care of. And there's taken care of? All about government. It's always about government. The Accountable Capitalism Act, the very reprobates who run for office and get elected, the politicians, the bureaucrats don't have enough power, but they'd get more. And then when you have a An issue that has to be decided, all of a sudden you got to go into federal court? They want to drag the private sector into their hell? And where is the constitutional basis for this? Can anybody tell us? Where is the constitutional basis for this? Is it anywhere? Where is the authority for this? Well, it doesn't exist, but they don't care. They don't care. You know, I enjoy helping my listeners, like Nathaniel, who owed the IRS tens of thousands in back taxes. He told the IRS he didn't have the money to pay. didn't matter. They put a lien on his home anyway. And Nathaniel heard how much I respect Optima Tax Relief, so he engaged them. Optima got the IRS to designate Nathaniel's case as CNC, that is currently not collectible. It's a big win, because it basically says, no use pursuing our client, there's nothing to be gained here. Optima kept fighting on Nathaniel's behalf until the IRS agreed to a deal that saved him thousands and resolved his tax debt for good. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking Americans with families, home savings, and paychecks that need protection. Now, they've resolved over a half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients. If you owe back taxes to the IRS, call my friends at Optima Tax Relief, 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Now, there's one other issue I wanted to get to. It doesn't, it doesn't arise seamlessly into these other issues I've been discussing, but it doesn't matter. I want you to listen to this. This is from AFP, the French press agency. Chinese bombers likely training for U.S. strikes, according to the Pentagon. Nobody is focused on what China is doing 
more than I. Whether it's on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, Levin TV on CRTV, or behind this microphone on Westwood One. Chinese bombers are likely training for strikes against American and allied targets in the Pacific, according to a new Pentagon report that also details how Beijing is transforming its ground forces to fight and win. The annual report to Congress released today highlights China's growing military, economic, and diplomatic clout and how Beijing is leveraging this to rapidly build its international footprint and establish regional dominance. In the case of China's air... By the way, was this covered on CNN or anywhere else, on MSNBC? Oh, uh, uh, John Brennan and his security... He can shove his damn security clearance. How about they face, uh, uh, focus on real news? The annual report to Congress released today highlights China's growing military, economic, and diplomatic clout and how Beijing is leveraging this to rapidly build its international footprint and establish regional dominance. In the case of China's air power, the report states that Chinese bombers are developing capabilities to hit targets as far from China as possible. Over the last three years, the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, yeah, right, the People's Liberation Army, has rapidly expanded its overwater bomber operating areas, gaining experience in critical maritime regions and likely training for strikes against U.S. and allied targets. The document states, noting how China is pushing its operations out into the Pacific. In August 2017, that's a year ago, six Chinese H-6K bombers, flew through the Mayoko Strait in the southwest of the Japanese islands and then for the first time turned north to fly east of Okinawa, where 47,000 U.S. troops are based. The PLA may demonstrate the capability to strike U.S. and allied forces and military bases in the western Pacific Ocean, including Guam, which is an American territory. Those are American citizens. And my great uncle fought there during World War II. The report says, largest ground force, China is engaged in a decades-long buildup and modernization of its once backward armed forces, and military leaders have set a goal of filling a world-class military by 2050. President Xi Jinping last year ordered the PLA to step up efforts, saying China needed a military ready to fight and win wars. The call has alarmed China's neighbors, several of whom are embroiled in tense border disputes with the superpower. See, now China's a superpower. Wasn't a superpower five years ago. According to the Pentagon, the PLA in April 2017 undertook a massive transformation of operational tactical units as part of its structural reforms. With nearly one million troops, the PLA is the largest standing ground force in the world. The report notes that the purpose of these reforms is to create a more mobile, modular, lethal ground force capable of being the core of joint operations, and able to meet Xi Jinping's directive to fight and win wars. China's military budget for 2017 was about $190 billion, according to the report, far behind the Pentagon's annual budget of about $700 billion. Now, that is an absurd comparison. Their soldiers are conscripts. They're not volunteers for the most part. They pay them nothing. They pay their families nothing. They have minimal health care. Then I'll go on. 
When the Pentagon released its annual report last year, Beijing dismissed it as irresponsible in predicting that China would expand its global military presence by building overseas bases in countries like Pakistan. This year's report reiterates that China will seek to establish new bases in countries such as Pakistan. Key to this expanding footprint is China's Belt and Road Initiative that seeks to bolster ties with other nations through lending and infrastructure deals. The document also shines a light on China's ongoing military preparations for a contingency in the Taiwan Strait. You know what that means? They intend to invade Taiwan. Officially, China advocates for a peaceful reunification with Taiwan, but it has never repudiated the use of military force, the document notes. The PLA also is likely preparing for a contingency to unify Taiwan with China by force, while simultaneously deterring, delaying, and denying any third-party intervention on Taiwan's behalf, it states. And should the United States intervene, China would try to delay effective intervention and seek victory in a high-intensity, limited war of short duration. In other words, quick and hard. Everything they have, fast. To that ire of regional neighbors, China has built a series of islets, as you know, and ocean features in the military facilities in the South China Sea. Beijing has now stopped substantial land reclamation. It doesn't have to. It's built the bases. However, it continued to build infrastructure at these outposts, the report says. CNN reporting on this? MSNBC reporting on this? Anybody really covering this on a regular basis? You know what this is? World War Three. World War Three. One day. And I want to remember what I'm saying. Our media focused on Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels lawyer. Amarosa. The pulled security clearance from the miscreant, Brennan, focused on trying to take down a commander-in-chief who knows about this, who's put men around him and women around him who are concerned about this, Pompeo, Bolton, Nikki Haley, Mattis, and trying to distract him and burden him and make his job impossible. This clown over there at the Washington Post is exactly what I mean when I say that Mueller has done more damage and will do more damage to our republic and our constitution than Russia. That's exactly what Abraham Lincoln meant, Thomas Jefferson meant, Joseph Story meant, and so many more. That if we are to be defeated, we will be defeated from within. And the propaganda wing of those who will defeat us will be the Washington Post, among others. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This time turns out that an identity protection company whose name you're mighty familiar with uh, hasn't been so careful in protecting the email addresses of their customers, and many were compromised. Please hear me. The only, only identity company that I trust to protect my family and me is my ID care. You really need to take this stuff seriously. If you have credit cards, do online banking, banking, or even use email, you're vulnerable. I don't worry anymore because I switched my identity protection to the guys who've been protecting Fortune 500 companies for years. My ID Care. 
you can get their stellar protection too at myidcare.com slash mark. Myidcare.com slash mark. If you do that, you'll also get 15% off. Just enter promo code mark. That's promo code mark. So that's myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. Now, I'm proud to partner with myidcare. They're the best. They take great care of their customers and our data, and they take it very, very seriously. And they cover us for the nine types of identity theft. For less than 10 bucks a month, my ID care can even help if you're already a victim. If you're already a victim. So learn more and then let my ID care take care of you and your family the way they take care of me and my family. MyIDcare.com slash mark promo code mark. MyIDcare.com slash mark promo code mark for 15% off. All right, let's go to, uh, there was one here. Paul, San Antonio, Texas, Sirius Satellite, go. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Just wanted to, uh, great, uh, thanks for taking my call. Great show on Sunday. Uh, I found it hard to believe that Dr. Pillsbury uh, said that they didn't know anything about China or didn't realize that they were trying to take us over militarily because uh, back in the late 90s when I was in school, I went to military school, and we were learning that... No, 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 let's, 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 let's slow down a second. They knew that. They just had a different approach, a different doctrine. They were trying to engage them, trying to get them hooked onto capitalism and things of that sort, and then they realized it was a terrible mistake. All right, go ahead. And the, the uh, things they said, we had a Chinese teacher that taught us that China was trying to take us over militarily, uh, that they had a plan to build, you know, they had plans for the aircraft carrier starting then that would be ready in 10 to 15 years and lo and behold they have an aircraft carrier too now so that was interesting what he said that they weren't really it seemed to me that he said that they weren't concerned as much with china and then you, also, you, ought, you ought to read his book because as i say he lays it out but they were trying detente they were trying to engage with china they started it with nixon and so forth and so on anyway what else do you have uh that's pretty much it i thought it was pretty interesting though all right, buddy. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Vinny, Charleston, South Carolina on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you? Okay. How are you? Good, good. Appreciate you so much. Hey, listen, I was just um, early on when the notion was floated about a subpoena being issued by Mueller to uh, mm-hmm. President Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox had someone on, a guest attorney, who recommended that he do nothing more than absolutely ignore it because mm-hmm. that there's nothing they could do. They can't hold him in contempt. Like you well, said. no, 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 that's not true. They can go to a federal judge and seek contempt. But he can't be prosecuted, right, because he's the president. So I think that's what that was. the. This has been my that. position from day one. Don't even I mean, they'll need to decide for themselves. They can claim executive privilege or just say, no, we're not going to do that. And a judge can issue a contempt order. But they have to play it out. The lawyers have to play it out. Look at the different options that are available. Consider how it'll play out. We'll be back tomorrow. More of this and more of that. We salute all you heroes out there, and I'll see you tomorrow. And enjoy Levin TV tonight. God bless.